0: Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Pint Glass Football Podcast, where we like to drink beer and talk football. Be sure to subscribe and follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PGF Podcast. Pintglassfootball.com is the website. Email podcast at gmail.com. I'm your host, Brad Fowler. And on today's episode, we have two special guests, Chris Benavides, Josh McDonough from the Commish Fantasy Football Podcast. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at the Commish FFP. They've got a killer website, the thecommishbrand.com. We are really excited to be joined by two from the hashtag Commish crew to talk some fantasy football and joining me to do so, my co-host, Chad Smith. What is up,
1: Chad? Brad, man, it's an honor to be on with Chris and Josh. It's kind of like, I mean, when you think you know something or you think you know a little bit and you think you're okay at it, you, you feel good about yourself. You try to pat yourself on the back and all that other shit. But this is like Game of Thrones. Like, this is like denarius sitting on the throne like this is chris josh this is two of the guys from the commission fantasy football podcast and they are the gurus when i talk about things in general and then they start talking about 27 percent target share for like aj brown then this is this is the people that really know what the hell they're talking about chris josh thank you guys for coming on i'm going to open things up with the houston texans listen Brad and I did a draft recap, and then we did draft grades, and we talked about over-unders. I said from the beginning, the Texans had, I mean, I don't know who they pissed off. Maybe they just don't like Bill O'Brien because he's a dumbass general manager. But, I mean, to start off with Kansas City, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh, that, that's like murderer's row. That's like running the gauntlet. But I still say – The Texans are just not a really good football team right now in general. And I know in listening to y'all's drafts, recaps, and and breakdowns of everything, and top 12 running backs, top 20, top – there was a lot of back and forth between the Texans. So my question is, and you both jump in, David Johnson – had an okay game against Kansas City. I think Chris Collinsworth was really salty and talking about, well, I wonder if they're worrying about the trade right now with D-Hop. I was like, that's a little early to be going that deep, Chris, on the trade. But since then, they have just looked very pedestrian. Deshaun Watson has looked very average. Can't get connected with Fuller, Cooks. They've had injuries. Both those guys in the past, no tight end play. Talk to me about what you think the Texans might be able to do going forward. Can they rebound? And is anybody on that lineup worthy of being started? Even Deshaun Watson, who has been a consensus top five quarterback for the three previous years.
2: Yeah, Josh, I'll take this one to start. So Josh and I are are probably on opposite sides of the spectrum, especially going into the season, especially uh, more, more specifically when it comes to Deshaun Watson. I have not been someone who's very high on Deshaun Watson. I actually had him as far back as my QB10 going into this season not just primarily because of losing DeAndre Hopkins but if you go back into his last several seasons he is really a volatile quarterback there's a great website called um uh, the fantasy football uh, sorry, sorry fantasy uh, sorry let me backtrack playerprofiler.com. I want to make sure I got that right because it is a great website for people who want to understand the advanced stats. And one of those advanced stats on Deshaun Watson is, is his volatility rating. And he is actually, despite his stats and how he finishes at the end of the year, he gets those he gets those fantasy points in either large chunks or very, very small chunks. And as a result of that, especially last season, I think he finished outside of even like a QB3 rank, uh, ranking. At least six times, which basically means that, like, if you were hoping that your quarterback would get you a victory for that week, he likely let you down more times than he succeeded. So, to me, that was a huge problem. I know Josh was much warmer on Deshaun Watson as far as quarterback play. Look, it's 2020, it's a brand new season. They're pretty much a whole new team as far as the overall offense goes, and they're not looking good, but they also did come up to your point, uh, Chad, that they literally came up against like the most difficult possible schedule they could they could have came up against so i do think that there's going to be a brighter future ahead for them i don't know that it necessarily gets better on the fantasy side josh what do you think all right
3: so chris and i agree on a lot of things one of the things we have not agreed on is deshaun watson um polar opposite from chris on deshaun watson i think that we need to take these three games and just kind of push them somewhere else for deshaun watson because it's the chiefs the Ravens, and the Steelers. And now Houston gets the Vikings, the Jaguars, the Titans, the Packers, the Jaguars again, and then the Browns. We know their defense is god-awful. Deshaun Watson is going to have to throw the ball, and he's going to be able to do it against these defenses that aren't great. And when he can't, he's going to be able to move around and get it done. We already talked about those three terrible matchups. He's still the QB 15 on the season, which is not what you drafted him to be, But if you had those three games spread out through the entire season, it's not going to kill you. So um, I am still on on Deshaun Watson. I think if I can get Deshaun Watson or any of these two passing weapons, Will or Brandon Cooks, I'm okay with that. I am concerned about David Johnson. I don't think this is going to be an offense that's going to be able to go through the run game. If David Johnson continues to see the volume that he's seen in the passing game, he'll be okay. He has seen – 11 targets over three games, which is pretty good for a running back. And he's also found two touchdowns um, in the passing game. So he has the potential to be all right. Uh, I'm sorry, both of his touchdowns were on the ground. But I'd be a lot more bullish on the passing game of the Houston Texans than the rushing game and David Johnson.
0: Yeah, I actually tend to agree with you there on Deshaun Watson. I think he's a little bit of a buy-low candidate right now. Like you said, going up against three really tough matchups, teams that allowed a combined 17 points per game, and Watson still scored 20 fantasy football points in two of those three games. So I'm kind of with you on that one. But I wanted to shift to the Seattle Seahawks backfield We know Carlos Hyde was a thousand yard rusher last season, and he should be a popular waiver pickup this week after the injury to Chris Carson. But I think we could see more of Travis Homer than people expect. Now, do you guys expect more of a running back committee in Seattle or do you think Hyde's going to get the lion's share of the carries?
2: Yeah, this is interesting. Um, Josh and I literally just uh, wrapped up an episode on our uh, for ourselves for the Commish Pod, and we literally had this conversation. We talked about it. So I think actually the question isn't necessarily whether or not Carlos Hyde um, is going to end up with the volume. It's whether or not, even if he gets the volume, do you still want to start him? And I say that and let me, let me sort of stop there for a second. Josh, you definitely have uh, your boy, uh, DJ Dallas, to talk about. So I'm going to preface and soft and tee that up for you in just a second. But I will say this about the backfield in Seattle. Russell Wilson in 2020 is not going to allow them to get inside the fucking 10-yard ten, ten line. Like, I, oh, by the way, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear. But if I am allowed to swear that hopefully we can keep that in. More More importantly, like, he's not going to let them inside the 10-yard line. He's throwing the ball all over the field. Even if Carlos Hyde gets the load, I don't think he's actually going to turn that into viable fantasy points. Uh, whether or not he does, if he does, it, it'll come in the passing game, but I'm not quite sure it's going to happen. Russell Wilson is the guy that is going to continue to throw the ball. They're letting him throw the ball. They talked about that prior to the season starting. It's happening. We're watching it. Uh, dude's on fire right now. I don't see the backfield. Even if Carlos Hyde takes it over in full capacity for a few weeks, Carlos Hyde, uh, Chris Carson will likely come back. And uh, it's going to be a moot point at that point. So you're likely going to play. If you do play Carlos Hyde, it'll be for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to produce anything. Josh, hit me with some DJ Dallas. Yeah,
3: before we even jump into that, um, with Chris Carson and the Carlos Hyde situation, Carlos Hyde is not a pass catcher. If you take away Chris Carson's pass catching work through these first three games of the season, you would have been very disappointed with him because he would have had 21 rushing yards, 72 rushing yards, and 64 rushing yards with zero touchdowns. To me, that is the ceiling for Carlos Hyde. And they've already lost two more offensive linemen while they were already hurting. So if Travis Homer gets the passing work and Carlos Hyde gets whatever Chris Carson had on the ground, he's in trouble. Now, I will plug my guy here. Um, if you ever play dynasty fantasy football, this is a guy that has been talked up a little bit this offseason. I think he was going around the third round in rookie drafts. His name is DJ Dallas out of Miami. Um, and the thing with DJ Dallas is he can do everything, and he landed in the perfect spot for that. He landed in a place where Pete Carroll is going to take the best player that he has, regardless of the draft capital that he's invested in him. Example being. Chris Carson drafted in the seventh round by the Seattle Seahawks. DJ Dallas was a fourth round pick drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. If he comes in, he already impressed in the preseason, um, not in preseason games, but in like the camp. And he can come in and he can do everything Carlos I can do and everything Travis Homer can do. So if he has a good week in practice, he's not a guy that I'm going to put in my lineup, but he's absolutely a guy that if I have an extra bench spot, I'm going to pick up. Um, So I'll say his name again. It's DJ Dallas, and it's not like DJ Moore. It's D-E-E-J-A-Y. Um, so it's a, there's a very good chance that he does nothing, but on the 20% chance that he takes over this backfield, I think he can earn a role where him and Chris Carson are doing the same thing with fresh legs. So...
2: Yeah, and there's nothing. There's nothing for the Seattle Seahawks to lose by starting him simply because they are very like they've totally turned the the, the switch as far as being a pass first offense right now. So they're not going to lose anything by trying to start him with a vacant opening because of Chris Carson's. And
3: he was a pretty good pass blocker uh um, in college too. So Pete Carroll does value that.
1: Yeah, you know, I thank you for that answer, Josh. But Chris and I have a little bit of sweat equity in a five hundred dollar fantasy football championship. Yeah, we do. That Chris kind of helped me draft. <laughs> tag team back and forth on and we got Carlos hiding like the 22nd round so I just need him to be fucking great for a couple of weeks and then he can go do the bench thing later okay because I mean this is worth about three grand if he just gives us just a little bit because Galladay's back Godwin's back I got Cup we got Devontae Adams coming back we're in third place right now. This is real money. Okay. So but I don't I, have the same skin in the game yeah. that
3: you guys have. So I'll put Carlo time for you guys.
1: I even have a couple of so, good games that he can go beat Water. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, you know, what's,
2: you know what's funny about this? So, actually, first off, one, we can swear. That's awesome. Second, uh, the ch- all right. It's funny because I also have not as much sort of sweat equity in Carlos Hyde, but I do have him in a few other leagues. Literally because of this exact scenario, when we talked about drafting Carlos Hyde, it was, you know, the question mark was does Chris Carson's hip hold up? Because we weren't sure how he was going to move without a preseason to see him play. Funny enough, he gets turned over in a weird ass play. It wasn't even weird ass play; it was a dirty play. And yeah, it was an absolutely dirty play. And And here he is. He's out, and I'm over here, like, oh shit. like we drafted Carlos Hyde legitimately for this reason, except I didn't see the Seattle Seahawks becoming a pass for his offense the way that they're letting Russell Wilson play. So it's weird that it happened, but it's just like, damn, there's another there's another narrative happening. And over he, in Seattle uh, right Russell
1: now. Wilson has clearly opened it up, and that's just the way it is. So uh, it's amazing. So, um, I, my next question, staying in the running back category. great question by Brad. Great answer by you guys. Arguably, I mean, consensus one and two, standard or PPR, you may have had some people slide Zeke into the two spot in standard and Saquon into the third spot. But Saquon's done for the year. The Giants, I don't even know if it can be described as a hot mess right now. I i, I just think its it's abysmal. I mean, Daniel Jones, I was really looking for him to be so great this year hopefully having all the weapons in place, and poor kid's never had a game yet that he has started where he has had Ingram, Barkley, Tate, Shepard, and Slayton all on the field or potentially all on the field and healthy at the same time. But with Saquon being out with the for the year and, and CMC being out at least four to maybe six weeks with that, hope he doesn't try to come back too quick like Saquon did last year with a little bit of a different type of injury. Mike Davis has looked okay as far as his replacement, but talk about the impact of CMC and what it might mean to actually even like handcuff if you've got that one pick and get a guy later in the draft to just ensure you so you don't get smoked on the waiver or just lose out on a fab bid, and then talk about the Giants' backfield hot mess. They brought in Devontae Freeman. You got Wayne Gallman and Deion Lewis. If you're the Giants and that's your running back court, good luck. I mean, that's uh, sorry, that's pretty salty. And just break that down because that really impacts a hell of a lot of people with those two guys being out.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, So, so my, my first impression and I'm, I'm actually, so Josh and I haven't really talked about this too much. We talked about it briefly, but, but I'm, I am curious to hear Josh's opinion. But so my thought here is like, when I first look at both of the potential replacements, like these offenses are not created equal. And it's unfortunate because like, they both have fairly good weapons as far as what the quarterbacks can can throw to, but one offensive line is significantly better than the other, and that's I think the primary difference, right? And so that's why you're able to see Mike, uh, um, uh, jeez, the name is escaping me here. Mike Davis. Mike Davis. Yep. Sorry, Mike Davis. Uh, become and actually put up a sort of respectable day and catch what was it, seven or eight balls for Carolina. Whereas, like, I kind of call this the Wayne Gallman fallacy. Like, everyone thought Wayne, I'm pretty sure, like, a lot of people blew 100% of Fab last season when Saquon no, went out it. for those few no, weeks that it. Wayne Gallman no, was going to become the, it. yeah, yeah, be- <laughs> become the answer. And unfortunately, he just wasn't. Like, he just he had one, wasn't the answer. hit like, and yeah. that was it. There exactly. Exactly. And so that could be the situation with Mike Davis in, in Carolina, but I doubt it. And it's just because it's just because the offensive line for the Giants is awful. So there's no, there's no running back that can come in and do better than what Saquon did and Saquon didn't really perform well. So, I mean, Josh, what do you think here? I just don't see a scenario where, uh, I would much prefer taking my chances on Mike Davis than I would any of the running back options in New York.
3: Yeah. So I'm, I'm coming to the same conclusion as you for slightly different reasons. Um, I don't think it necessarily has to do with the offensive line. I think the Giants' offensive line is bad. Um, Gallman and Freeman both were very inefficient on the ground. Mike Davis, on the other hand, was okay on the ground. He averaged three and a half yards per attempt, which is nothing special. The reason why Mike Davis came through was because of his eight receptions for only 45 yards. If you were playing him in a standard league, he'd only get you nine points, right? So he also had a touchdown, which helps. But – um, Without that passing work, I don't think either of them are really going to do anything. With the Giants, it seems like the passing work, if it's going to the running back, is going to be distributed between Freeman, Lewis, and Gallman. With the Panthers, it seems like it's going to be funneled to Mike Davis if it's funneled to a running back. I really am concerned about the passing work continuing to go to Mike Davis. He's not Christian McCaffrey. He's not being efficient with these receptions. Why not throw the ball short to a guy like DJ Moore, to a guy like Curtis Samuel, who can actually do something with these. If I have to pick one, it's Mike Davis, and I'm going to play Mike Davis this week against Arizona, next week against Atlanta. That's fine. But I'm not in love with the long-term outlook for Mike Davis, even until Christian McCaffrey comes back, Um, which, you know, I had that stance going into the week against the Chargers where he did perform. So, I was wrong last week. I'm going to stick with my process and, and continue to think that this is not going to continue to go to Mike Davis. Um, but back to your original question, right? So one thing you mentioned was handcuffs. At the day that you drafted, if you drafted Christian McCaffrey, Mike Davis was not the handcuff that you were drafting. I think everyone was thinking it was going to be Reggie Bonifon, right? Who got the motor to practice squad? Flip over to the Giants. If you were drafting Saquon Barkley, you definitely weren't drafting Devonta Freeman as the handcuff for the Giants. So in this situation specifically, it probably didn't work out. I think there are the thing with handcuffs that I've always had the mindset of, if there's not a clear handcuff, don't waste your time. So the clear handcuff guys are the Alexander Madison's, the Latavius Murray's, the chase Edmonds. Those are the guys that I'm okay drafting. If I take a pick in the first or second round with those guys, but I don't think it comes into play with the Carolina backfield or the Giants backfield.
1: I'm going to jump in, Brad, real quick. It's almost kind of like with a Saquon or a a CMC, guys, where you guys talked about your zero-modified running back strategy where you're drafting the one horse. You obviously need that guy to be healthy all year. Then you load up on wide receiver and tight end. Then you come back and get your RB2 and build out your RB depth there because – you're you're relying on a CMC to do what he does. And so I'm with you. I took Reggie Bonifant in a couple of those best ball drafts late, 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 thinking like, all right, that's my handcuff. He was still there. And yeah, he's not even on the field now. So I do think that makes sense to say the Chase Edmonds, the Madisons, the Murrays, those guys are on that short list of handcuff, true handcuff, and also could in a really tight spot situation if you're just banged up and your roster's all to hell, you could throw them into the flex spot and they might get you a garbage touchdown. So, But that makes a lot of sense. So, Brad, I'll turn it back over to you.
0: Yeah, I'm with you guys. And as far as the Giants' backfield, it's a hard pass for me right now. I think that offensive line is atrocious. I'm not sure Barry Sanders could be fantasy relevant behind that O-line. But <laughs> I wanted to shift into a little game with you guys. I got some guys that I want to ask you buy or sell And you guys can each take your turns, uh, you know, doing a quick buy or sell on these guys and maybe why you would or wouldn't. First guy, Joe Mixon, buy or sell?
2: Josh, do you want to take this one? (laughs)
3: Uh, Joe Mixon points, right? So I, fortunately, thanks to my good buddy Chris over here, I don't have Joe Mixon rostered in any of my 12 leagues that I'm in this season, which is delightful because – there's nothing about Joe Mixon that I want to deal with right now. Um, I'm trying to sell Joe Mixon, just not yet. I'm waiting to see how he plays against Jacksonville. If he has a big game against Jacksonville, that's what I'm trying to make the move. And I'm trying to sell him for somebody who's kind of underperformed. So we already talked about Carolina. DJ Moore hasn't been exactly what we want him to be. If after this week I can move Joe Mixon for DJ Moore cuz I have the running back depth, I'm doing it. I'm selling Joe Mixon as soon as he has a big week, but you have to wait until he has a big week cuz right now you're going to get peanuts.
2: Yeah, so and anybody who's heard our pod, I so I drafted Joe Mixon last season. And there was a huge narrative about how Joe Mixon was going to, you know, capitalize on his his rookie season and continue uh or even be better than what, you know, than what he was projected You go and draft Joe Mixon and the dude just lays a dud in the first half of the season. Now he ends up picking it up in the second half of the year, but by that point, your team was either in last place, close to last, or you already traded Joe Mixon for for basically nothing. So- I literally went out of my way this year to produce episodes to, to tell people not to draft Joe Mixon because you're going to end up in the same scenario. When everyone thought with Joe Burrow coming in, well, you know, the tides are turning for the Cincinnati Bungles. Fortunately, it's not going to happen and it won't anytime soon. The best you can hope for is that they do start using Joe Mixon the way their best player on the field should be used. It is baffling that the offensive play calling has been as like Joe mixon as it has been. And, but there's nothing you can do about it because they're playing from behind and they're just letting Burrow throw the ball 70,000 times. So my advice is, all right, so let me let me sort of backtrack to your question, Brad. I'm selling Joe Mixon, but I do think if you have him, hopefully at this point, you're playing people that also have significant injuries that can kind of even out how bad Joe Mixon's been playing. If you can get by with an average record, then keep Joe Mixon. If you're losing significantly, I think you have to sell him because you have nothing else to lose at this point, um, and hopefully get something in return. Or I know this is kind of a cop out answer, but you you hold on to him and hope he heats up. But it's not looking good. It's it's pretty it's pretty obvious at this point. People who drafted Joe Mixon are are not
1: happy. No, right and now. it's I mean it's week three, guys, and they've already started utilizing Giovanni Bernard. That that right there alone should tell you like you're in trouble if you're in the mixing camp. And I hated him all year. When I was on the back end of that draft, that goes to your all's argument. My argument that I've been making and trying to talk to so many different people is when you're on the back end of a snake and you're sitting there and it's RB9, RB10, RB11, and you start having to just consider the Drakes. I mean, the Miles Sanders who missed week one has looked decent week two, week three, the Mixons of the world. And you're sitting there with a wide receiver two, wide receiver three. Yeah, Adams and Julio have both, been hurt and missed some games, but when they were in, they lit it up, and I just don't trust Zach Taylor. I don't trust that offense, and I don't trust Joe Mixon and the Bengals, and I am glad hell that I've avoided him in pre- I don't think I have him on a single team this year. I swear I don't.
2: No, yeah. No, I, I agree with you, and, uh, you know, we it, obviously wouldn't have to linger on this this topic too long, Chad, but I agree with you 100%. I'll, I'll just say this one last point. I think the, I think the, 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 the sign that should have been obvious to everyone at this point was week two when they played the Browns. They were basically in sort of an offensive shootout. I mean, the game was low key 35 to 30, like that's 65 points between these two offenses that are not necessarily all that prolific, despite the talent and Joe Mixon still only ended up with like 12 points And that. That's it's, it's it's just like an insane thought that in a game that you could have racked up garbage points that the backup, running back was salvaging all of those touches away from the main yeah. running back. I just,
3: Bernard it just doesn't make targets any sense. that game. Yeah. Seven targets. Yeah. Gone to Joe Mixon, even if Joe Mixon exactly. had caught five of them for zero yards, his week would have been great. But Giovanni Bernard comes in here, gets five and he averages four yards per catch. There's a absolutely a wow. fallacy between logical coaching. Joe Mixon is a victim of that fallacy.
2: I agree. I like him as a talent, just the environment's
1: shit. uh, On the buy-sell thing, I'm going to ask my next question, then Brad can jump back in on more buy-sell. Two other backfields that I think are getting ready to potentially be a hot mess, and this is, again, one of those where a player has come out of nowhere. When you look at the Miami backfield, a lot of people were looking at Jordan Howard based on his two past three years of production, even though he's been – on about 38 different teams, including a couple of XFL rosters. He's still considered a great running back. Everybody was hot on Matt Brietta, especially in PPR formats. And here comes Miles Gaskin by week three, getting like 25 touches in the game against the Jaguars. He has clearly become the lead back now. Howard is, I mean, um, getting garbage goal line work, getting these one-yard carries. It's going to be sick to see him have – 16 carries and 11 touchdowns. But talk about the Miami backfield, then also talk about the San Francisco backfield because Mostert's hurt. That is a, I mean, a phenomenal potential backfield because of that O line and the way that Kyle Shanahan likes to utilize the run. But Mostert's never been able to stay healthy. Tevin Coleman clearly can't stay healthy. You now have Jerick McKinnon who came in and had a really good game against the Jets. And now you've got Jeff Wilson. So they're four deep. They're in that Baltimore Ravens category. But when Mostert comes back, I think the short man out, and if you've got Tevin Coleman, I think you got to go full eject on him right now, even though he's hurt. I think it's going to be Mostert and McKinnon moving forward. But that's my thoughts. And I think it's going to be Gaskin. And then maybe, again, some of that goal line work with Howard. But Brietta has become a non-factor in that Miami offense. So talk about those two running back back backfields because, I think running back is still critical to fantasy success week in and week out and winning your league. So you got to get your running back situation straight. So give me your thoughts, guys.
2: Yeah.
3: I'll jump in on Gaskin. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Gaskin was a guy that going into the 2019 NFL draft, I actually really liked coming out of Washington. Um, His combine tape especially made him look pretty fluent in the receiving game. And then he fell out of the seventh round, and I was like, all right, well, I trust the NFL scouts, forget him, Um, and didn't draft him in any of my dynasty leagues, and, and now I regret it. He is the volume guy that's in Miami, and originally the first two weeks, it looked like he was the volume receiving back. So he had 11 targets through the first two weeks and 16 carries. Week three against Jacksonville, Miami manages to take a lead, and I don't expect them to hold the lead often, but he got 22 carries with a lead. So if Miami's losing and Gaskin is the pass catching back, he has fantasy value. If Miami is winning and he's the rushing back, he's gonna have fantasy value. I think you gotta roster Miles Gaskin. He's seen over 60% of the offensive snaps in all three games. I really liked the talent to begin with, and I'm glad that he's getting a chance in Miami. If this offense switches over to Tua, I think it's going to benefit Miles Gaskin because they're going to want to simplify the offense, which might be more running the ball. Um, Miles Gaskin is not going to go out there and, you know, pick up 150 scrimmage yards in any single game. But he's a very safe flex play that's going to pick you up between 10 and 15 points. And if he falls into the end zone, that's huge. He doesn't have a single touchdown this year, but he's still been fantasy relevant as is.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything you just said, Josh, and I I won't add too, too much more. The only thing I'll say is that the comparison as far as utility goes, he reminds me a lot of the Kareem Hunt role, and Eric made this point on our pod uh, a few episodes ago, is that Kareem Hunt is not game script dependent as far as being able to get fantasy points, and it seems like Miles Gaskin is the same thing. He is going to get vultured in terms of TDs on the goal line from Jordan Howard. That seems to be their play. He is the bigger back. Although I don't know. I think that, that that doesn't necessarily mean that Jordan Howard should get them, but he is right now. Nevertheless, everything Josh just said is hundred percent on the money. Gaskin will get the work, whether they're up, whether they're down, if they're in between the twenties, even in the red zone, um, passing rushing. Uh, he seems to be their all around, uh, player. So I like, I like Gaskin. Uh, yeah, I'm heavily.
0: bullish on Gaskin as well. And full disclosure, I live on the West Coast, Pac-12 country, and I watched a lot of him in college, and I was really high on him coming out of the draft as well, so I love what you said there, and I think it's great to see him getting that opportunity. I definitely like what I've seen from him. But back to buy or sell, I've got another one for you guys. James Robinson, buy or sell?
3: Can we kind of combine this one, Brad? I don't hope you don't mind. I feel like we missed the San Francisco uh, portion of the last one, and I'm... 100% 100% with Chad on that. I think Tevin Coleman is going to be the odd man out there. I was kind of in on Jared McKinnon to begin with because Cal Shanahan was the guy that brought Jarek McKinnon is in as his guy, his first big signing in San Francisco. So I think Chad covered all the bases on San Francisco. I don't know if Chris had anything else to add.
2: No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, it, it does seem like McKinnon – you know what's interesting? McKinnon reminded me – and we sort of talked about this, I think, Josh, on – few episodes back on the commish pod as well but like mckinnon had sort of that dalvin cook um uh air about him right when he sort of first uh started in the nfl and then obviously the injuries took over but since he's been healthy he's got that vibe back and i think that that continues regardless of who comes back it's kind of unfortunate because i was really in on uh moster he he they will obviously still use him dude is Right now, I guess, on paper, the fastest guy in the NFL. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to use most when he does come back, uh, if he does come back. But McKinnon isn't going to go anywhere. And
3: hopefully McKinnon's injury is not serious. He did have an upper rib injury, if I'm not mistaken, but he's right. played through injuries almost as often as Matt Burita does. So Yeah. But So James Robinson, um, we can jump right into that. I This is a guy, Chris and I were talking about earlier, in the same breath as Joe Mixon would you rather play James Robinson against the Bengals or Joe Mixon against the Jaguars? And we both said James Robinson. Um, James Robinson is doing it on a week to week basis. I, a lot of the guys that I trust in the industry were very in on James Robinson as soon as Leonard Fournette was out. And I was putting around and saying, Oh, well Chris Thompson's going to get the receiving work. And I was just God awful wrong. Um, This is James Robinson's backfield. He's played very well. He's proved himself as a top 24 fantasy running back. Uh, I think you got to play him until he disappoints you. And I don't think he's going to disappoint you against this Cincinnati defense. So I'm buying James Robinson.
2: Yeah, I agree, Josh. I'm also buying James Robinson. But the other thing too is like, I think it's kind of going unnoticed. Everyone thinks that like, I don't know why people are necessarily shocked that there could be a ver- like a, a top you know running back one in that offense. Like the offense is fairly good. Like we talked about this preseason that they have a sneaky good offense. Uh, Gardner Minshew, we all agreed, is sort of the real deal here. And I think moving forward, like they they have weapons. Like as long as DJ Chark plays, like Chris Conley's you know fairly good. They've got Lavisca Chenault, and
1: they've
2: other. They, What's that? They got Keelan
1: Cole. They got Eifert. They got Sharp. yeah. They do. Yeah,
2: exactly. And like they have a lot of options. So to like sit like I think I don't know understand why everyone's so surprised that they could produce like a, a running back that right now is just tearing it up. Like they're they're a good offense. They, it was their defense that was suspect. So the time. you guys
1: will be proud of me in two leagues because I was listening to you all and listening in on trying to get through the Chris Thompson muddle and the Raquel Armstead and Devin Osbigo. I snuck in on two different fab leagues and got James Robinson for a dollar in each one of those leagues prior to him kind of coming onto the scene in week two now, especially week three, put up 31 fantasy points in a PPR. So he's on that Miles Gaskin category, Josh, where he's going to get to run the football off their head, but he's also throwing – he's getting the ball thrown to him even more than Chris Thompson was unless it was way garbage time at the end. In that Miami game – and I mean, the guy put up 31 points, man. That is a monster number for a guy out of a Jags offense. And when Chark comes back, I think it's going to open up the field even more for him. And so I'm all in on him. I've got him in leagues that I'm hoping to win. So for me, like, yes, give me, give me that and give me more. So my quick question, I know there was a, trust me, this is salty as hell for me to just even talk about it again because we just covered it on our podcast a couple weeks, a couple hours ago. Um, the Falcons had a 26-10 to 10 lead. I had them in my circa millions that I do the super contest with out in Vegas. And um, then they brought in Nick Foles, and we know the rest. I mean, an epic collapse again by the Falcons. It's, it's hard to even, like, think about it again. But my question is, Nick Foles, they've already named him the permanent starter. A lot of people said it's going it was going to happen by week four, week five. In all my best ball leagues, I was waiting – And even taking him as my third quarterback, if I had two studs, like a Matt Ryan and a Russell Wilson or a Matt Ryan and a Kyler Murray, I was waiting because I'm like, they didn't sign Trubisky to his fifth-year extension. You knew this was coming when they brought in Foles for that reason. I think he obviously makes Allen Robinson better, but I think even below that, even with Tariq Cohen out, Montgomery's going to get a little bit of an uptick in touches. But I think you're going to see people like Anthony Miller, who's kind of been under the radar, Then Fantasy Irrelevant, along with the probably thought Walking Dead Jimmy Graham in the 10th episode, 10th season of that show, he becomes relevant because Foles has always gravitated to tight ends with Ertz and Godert when he was in Philly. He had seven seven targets after Foles came in with two touchdowns and ended up with nine targets, seven catches, 60 yards, and two touchdowns. So I think Graham even becomes relevant. So talk about Foles, Miller, Graham, anybody on that Bears offense. Do you see that offense just being better in general with Foles on the field? And if you don't have a Foles and you need quarterback help, even in a super flex league, do you go grab a Foles if he's available?
3: Yeah. So, go ahead. Yeah. So um, we just right.
2: go ahead, Josh. If you want, we, we literally just had a conversation about this. Yeah, so you, you, can, uh, you can you go ahead and jump and in.
3: Kind of the impact and the reason we were discussing it was because we were talking about Tariq Cohen's injury. Um, And with Rico and out, we're looking for almost if there's another pass catching running back in Chicago and there really isn't. So David Montgomery might have an opportunity to get some of those targets. One thing that I've done some research on is the correlation between running back targets and tight end targets. Um, There's a much stronger correlation between running back targets and tight end targets than there are between running back targets and wide receiver targets. So, If a pass-catching running back goes down, it strongly benefits a pass-catching tight end or vice versa. So it's Rico and going down. Jimmy Graham is a guy that has a chance to become fantasy relevant once again. I'm still having a tough time buying into it because it's Jimmy Graham. He's been kind of tossed around the league the last few years and has done what he can in the red zone. And all of a sudden this week he saw 10 targets. So if you're desperate for a tight end – Let's say you had George Kittle and then you picked up Jordan Reed and I don't have a guy to play this week. If Kittle doesn't play, I'm cool rolling out Jimmy Graham. I think he'll have an opportunity. Aside from Jimmy Graham, Allen Robinson, plug him into your lineup. I don't think there's any big downgrade at all. I think it's fine where he is. Anthony Miller still concerns me. and Anthony Miller is a guy that I've always liked, but this year Nagy's almost refused to use him. So last year when Taylor Gabriel – Uh, left with the season-ending injury, Anthony Miller started to eat. This year, his snap share has been very disappointing. Week 1, 42%. Week 2, 40%. Week 3 against Atlanta, where they were trying to come back, 57%. So if they're in games that they're trailing big, maybe Anthony Miller has a role. But even against Atlanta, he had two receptions for 41 yards, and he fell into the end zone. So... Anthony Miller is not a guy I'm digging this year, and I'm having a tough time saying that because Anthony Miller is a guy that I've pumped up for a while. Uh, but in redraft leagues, I'm not going near him. So, I, Chris, I don't know if you have any input on Anthony Miller. I know he was one of your starts of the week a couple weeks ago, right? Or, or something that you were targeting?
2: Yeah, dude. Yeah, flopped heavily, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I was, I'm was. i also a little concerned with Anthony Miller's role. I mean, there, you, can't, you can't ignore that. That's that stat line that Josh has put wait. out. And that is the reality of the Miller situation. Was What's that? Miller
1: specific, just to kind of figure out like, what are your options?
2: Yeah, no, exactly. So, so I will say this, and I don't know how this is going to, again, this is one of these sort of, you really have to wait and see how this plays out on the field. But historically, Nick Foles has not used the running back in the passing game all that much. So immediately that idea that, I mean, David Montgomery will get more of the passing volume just simply because literally Cohen's just not there. But I don't think it's going to be as sort of fantasy relevant as people want it to be. That being said, um, outside of Alan Robinson, Anthony Miller is the downfield threat. And we saw basically how that translated against, um, or this past week uh, when they were coming back against the Falcons. So uh, that being said, I'm not 100% sure how they're gonna use Anthony Miller, but I hope with Nick Foles, I I would love to see more of an uptick down the field and even in the slot, the way Juju Smith Schuster gets used, he has that same makeup, and I do think it could be uh efficient for um, you know with Nick Foles as far as efficiencies and QBRs. It's a little too early to tell though. I think that's, that's just exactly kind of what I was the asking. The overall. I think the
1: Bears can be kind of relevant now. So that that's that was the whole point of. of of kind of like laying out those potential people. And Josh, you made a great point about Graham. I think he has the potential to have a smidge more of upside being fantasy relevant. And if you need tight end help, then yeah, you go get a guy like that uh, to give you a one or two week haul pass.
3: I got one more quick ad for you real quick here on Anthony Miller. And I need to do the research real quick while you were talking. But Anthony Miller played 46 snaps out of 82 snaps against Atlanta. That is less than rookie wide receiver. You may have never heard of Darnell Moody. Okay, so there's something about Matt Nagy and Anthony Miller that aren't meshing. Anthony Miller, if he can get out of Chicago, I would love him. But in Chicago, I'm I, I don't like it.
0: Yep, yeah, no, I agree with you big time. And sometimes what system you're in can play a huge factor in your fantasy production. There's no doubt about that, but I've got one more buy sell for you guys. And I'll preface this by saying for me personally, I think he's the perfect sell high candidate right now, but I'm really curious to hear your guys' thoughts on him.
2: Buy or sell Todd Gurley. I mean, I, if you can sell him, sell him immediately Uh, what you get for him. I don't know. (laughs) I just, I just don't, I just don't know. Uh, We were a little optimistic about Todd Gurley in the beginning of the season. Um, Yeah, but I do think like, all right, the biggest concern was like, I think the health and his ability to move and cut off of his physique. I don't know. I don't even know what you call it at this point. Um, You know, he he just doesn't got it. It's It's just that simple. He just doesn't have it. And it's sad, but it's the reality and... You know he'll fall into the end zone and get you 13 points every once in a while, but you know he's getting you know he's even getting vultured, even a, within his own role, right? So Ito Smith. I mean, Smith go get
1: so. Brian Smith because I think he's going to become more and more relevant. I week. totally over.
2: agree. I totally agree with you. Brian Hill. I'm sorry,
1: Brian Hill, not Ito Smith.
2: Brian Hill. Well, both of them. I mean, they're they're both they're both taking targets away from Todd Gurley, yeah. which is insane because Todd Gurley should be that horse that they were looking for. He's just not Josh. What do you think?
3: I am going to disagree with you guys. And this might just be me trying to pull my own dead horse with me, but here's the deal with Gurley. He's getting the, he's getting the volume, right? 14 carries, 21 carries, 14 carries. That's great. He's seen seven targets over three games. His second game against, he's getting
2: Josh Josh, just to not, uh, sorry, not to cut you off, but, but to add a stat line to that, um, Todd Gurley right now, I'm going to add another stat later. Todd Gurley right now is getting, I believe, RB11 volume right now.
3: Yeah, and so he really hasn't been that inefficient. He hasn't been efficient. He's averaging four yards per carry, which at the NFL level really isn't bad. So the issue is, is he hasn't really broken off any of those long runs that we like to see from Todd Gurley. And the question is, is will that happen You didn't draft Todd Gurley to be your running back one this year. He was going in the draft in the same area as the Leonard Fournette's as the David Johnson's, right? If you were trying to sell Todd Gurley now, I don't know that you're going to get anything better than what you paid for him in the draft. And I know that's a sunk cost, but he has the ceiling that I don't think David Johnson has. Um, He has the ceiling that, you know, maybe now in have a Leonard Fournette is better. But I'm still in on Gurley. Um, I'm going to hold with Gurley if I can. If you find someone who's bailing ship on Gurley, maybe you can take him. He's one of these guys that he, he's not your RB1. He shouldn't be your RB1. If he's your RB2 and you have two really good wide receivers, you're okay. If he's your flex play, damn, you're looking good, okay? The expectation isn't what he was in L.A., it is, you know, it's a strong RB, 2 maybe. So I'm fine with Gurley. I have no issues with him.
1: No, I, I'm with you, Josh. I, I think Gurley, I, I'm just worried about his health. I mean, if you can find somebody in your league that is secretly wearing an Atlanta Falcons jersey, even though they're 0-3 and they're horrible and Dan Quinn needs to be fired like today. They're out there. Yeah. They're, those guys yeah. are out there. Then trade the shit out of him and get everything you can because I'm I'm still worried about his health overall and his ability to complete a 16-game schedule. And I just – I mean, what I saw out of Brian Hill on that one play, that explosive where he broke that play to the outside. It looked good. It was great. And I just don't see Gurley doing that. And if Atlanta needs more help on the offensive side, then they're going to have to go that route with a Brian Hill. So I'm trying to pick up Brian Hill this week if I can.
2: So for what it's worth, for what it's worth, just to add one more thing, like the Atlanta Falcons, their problem is nothing to do with their offense. Like their offense is totally fine. And like, if anything, I mean, that's one of, as actually one of the things Josh and I pointed out earlier in the season is that like, if anything, Todd Gurley is in the environment that Joe Mixon wishes he could be in, right. Where like, they're actually using running back play and they're actually scoring a ton of points and the running backs are getting some of that volume. So it's like. You know, th- that's a good thing, right? So, minimum to Josh's point, I suppose, like that's what you have in Todd Gurley as far as environment goes.
3: And Brian Hill did have that really nice one play, but he was garbage outside of that. I'm sorry. He was averaging less than three <laughs> yards per <for> carry. Uh,
1: <sighs> I'm not sweating, Brian Hill. Those I'm are obvious run plays, Brian, though. though yeah that's, that's i mean obvious run plays and so i i yeah i'm i understand josh i understand where you're coming from The health I, is a real concern i will agree I, to that i think yeah. the falcons suck right now in general and i mean yeah gauge is relevant calvin ridley's going to be a mega super breakout star i mean julio's julio so it is what it is matt ryan's going to have his five thousand yards again and they're going to suck like they always do because i've taken them two weeks in a row in millions and they've they've cost me so yeah I'm salty as hell about it. Um uh, brutal. My last question um revolves around the to me and what I've seen uh, yeah they went up against the Ravens. I get it. That's a that's a brutal matchup, but Kansas City being a complete team that has weapons on offense showed what you can do even in Baltimore last night and 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 basically dismantling that defense. But when I look at the Cleveland Browns I you talked about Chubb and some of that goal line work and just I mean I mean taking it away from people. I firmly believe now the Cleveland Browns have said, uh yeah, Baker, you are a number one pick. We don't give a shit. I mean, Austin Hooper, not involved. I mean, two, three targets a game, abysmal. Most people taking him in eighth, ninth, tenth round. He's not giving you any production. I was really surprised by that. OBJ, Landry, their afterthoughts. Cleveland is going to run the football and run the football down your throat with what I arguably think is the best one-two running back combo punch in football until you can stop them. They are actually averaging running the football over 60% of the time right now in these last two games, and teams still haven't stopped them. So my thing is, yes, Hunt – I mean, Chubb is an RB1. I clearly think Hunt has moved from flex – to solid, legit RB2 range, especially in PPR formats. Give me your thoughts on the Browns. Do you see Baker, OBJ, Landry, any of those guys being relevant? Hooper? Or do you see this being a running back football team and it's Chubb and Hunt moving forward and nobody else is worthy? So
3: I don't think it's arguable at all. I think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are – hands down, the best running back duo in the NFL, and it's not close. I don't think there's another duo that can even be said in the same breath as them. Um, I think the closest, honestly, this is a hot take, it's Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, because Latavius Murray looks pretty good, and Alvin Kamara's looks like a superstar. But when you look at the Cleveland Browns offense, Baker Mayfield in the Stefanski role has played pretty well, right? Not for fantasy purposes, he's done what, just what Stefanski has needed him to do which is exactly what Kirk Cousins did last year. And you know who went out there in Stefanski's offense and killed it in Kirk Cousins' offense? Dalvin Cook, okay? So I don't expect Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt to be a top five running back this year because Stefanski says, now I have two sets of fresh legs that I can do the same exact thing with. This Cleveland offense absolutely is going through the run game. It's going through Nick Chubb. It's going through Kareem Hunt. The issue that we have at hand is week four against the Dallas Cowboys, it's not going through Nick Chubb. It's going through Kareem Hunt because they're going to have to pass the ball to keep it with the Dallas offense. If, you know, the Cowboys continue their trend of sputtering in the first corner and uh, Nick Chubb gets a few carries early, maybe he salvages the week with a touchdown. But I think week four specifically, it's Kareem Hunt. The rest of the season, it's both of these guys. Fire them up. Um, one guy, or er, Eric and Chris and I have been talking about this on the commission side. Should we start Kareem Hunt or Joe Mixon in the home league for Eric, right? I think Chris and I are on the same page here. It's Kareem Hunt. He's he's a focal point, right? So especially in PPR formats, both of these guys are great. Moving over to the wide receiver side, I'm concerned about Jarvis Landry. I don't think he's 100% healthy. He's been on the injury report. He did have um, – was it a hip or a groin surgery in the offseason? wasn't himself. And then Odell Beckham comes out and says – Yeah, don't expect big fantasy points from me this year. That's not my M.O., right? That's because it's Stefanski's offense. The passing game in Cleveland is not how this team wants to win, and their defense is surprisingly, you know, can hold their own. Apparently not against Cincinnati, but generally speaking, I think it's going to have to be a running offense. Of course, I I think we're on the same page on this one, but you can add anything else in.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. I, I have really nothing else to add other than, you know, we sort of talked about this a bit earlier on the pod here where Kareem Hunt is is the running back whose, whose value is not game script dependent. So even though, you know, Chubb will sort of vulture into or just take away carries, you know, you wouldn't... Like, for example, you don't necessarily need to see Kareem Hunt until the third quarter and know that he's still going to get you value because they are going to use him at some point. Like, with, I think they did that against Cincinnati, right? So basically... Uh, yeah, fire up both running backs until you, well, just never not fire them up. Uh, even if, I don't know. Yeah. Even if it's a Joe Mixon type situation, I think you fire up a Kareem Hunt over Joe Mixon at this point. Um, but the other thing I will say, and this is just something I think that the Browns have going for them. This is a weird sort of like, uh, I don't, I don't know how you want to preface this, but basically they're lucky they have these two running backs because I actually do think Baker Mayfield is the problem in that offense. Um, Yep. So, unfortunate. It's you know, it's unfortunate because I, I am. I like Baker. I, I still like Baker. I think. Uh, I think he's good. I just don't think he's going to be the quarterback we all wanted him to be. The he's guy who's game running manager. the ads That's and all the Super Bowls and. Yeah. Well, you know what? And you can, right? And you can be great doing that. I actually just don't. I don't even know if I don't even know if he's a game manager because like t- we looked at Tom Brady as sort of a game manager, right? Until he ended up with Randy Moss, and then he exploded. Uh, Baker Mayfield with weapons like OBJ and Jarvis Landry and you're a game manager, that's a freaking problem. Like, that's a big problem, right? You need to be better than that if you have those weapons out on the outsides. Um, and even like an Austin Hoover, right? Who's like kind of disappeared in that offense at this point. Like, I don't know that it's just a fancy problem. I think it's a, uh, Baker isn't as good as he should be. And unfortunately they're being like, it's it's like weird to say, but like they're almost like being forced to run the ball more because they don't trust their passing game. Which is fine. Which is fine. Which is fine because you, yeah, this that's a fine. It's a fine problem to have when you have Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt as your backfield. But that just to
1: me seems like what the issue is. Well, I mean, you take you take Week One. Yes, it was the Ravens. Only forty percent of the targets that Beckham had thrown to him were even catchable footballs based on NFL standards. That's when I think after Week One they watched the film. They were like, "All right, it's time to shift the gears here. We've got two horses in the stable, and listen, I've got." along with two other people on my team with Kelly in Vegas and my big league that I'm in with her. We got a $1,500 side bet this week with the team that we're playing in week four. We're going to start Kareem Hunt. Josh, I'll have pom-poms on and get a tattoo on my ass of your face if Kareem Hunt blows up and it becomes a passing game because they got a matchup with Dallas because I want Kareem Hunt to go off. And we've been so scared the last two weeks playing him, even in the flex. Because it's like, all oh, right, he's not even, he's not even in, and then the guy ends up being more than fantasy relevant the last two weeks because he's just that good when he gets on the field. So I, yeah, I'm all in on Hunt. That's why I was asking.
3: Chad, I don't think you've seen my face recently. I don't think you want to <laughs> tattoo it without your ass. Gorgeous app, face.
2: It's a beautiful face. Gorgeous
3: face. <laughs> he's beautiful.
2: Up. He's a beautiful. He's a handsome lady.
3: <laughs> Baker Mayfield. He's, a, be- have a, very he's a beautiful. Very. The beautiful man. <laughs>
0: Man, ass tattoos and pom-poms, we have really gotten off the rails here, guys. But
3: uh, <laughs> What happens if you have the commish boys in town? <laughs> uh,
0: I love it. No, I, I want to wrap up with one final question for you guys. We're going into week four. There's a lot of football left, but we've seen enough now to know that some of these guys just aren't going to live up to their ADP. Who are some players that fantasy managers need to stop holding out hope for and just cut bait?
3: Yeah, number one for me, I it's A.J. Green. Um, he's been getting targets all season long from Joe Burrow and really hasn't done anything with them. And now all of a sudden, T. Higgins is on the field a lot. Um, watch out for A.J. Green to continue his descent into retirement. In that tie against the Eagles, you weren't happy with him, but he managed to actually catch his targets from Joe Burrow this week. So if for some reason you're holding on to A.J. Green, that's a guy I'm cutting bait on.
2: Yeah, another guy that I'm probably going to say here, which kind of breaks my heart, but it's just the reality of the New England running back core, is Sonny Michel. Uh, It's just unfortunate. That's just the way uh, or just like the usage of the running back's In New England, um, I think it was by chance that he scored all those touchdowns. But, I mean, I think he just had his best game of the season against the Raiders. Um, He scored all those touchdowns back, what was it, two years ago, I think, at this point? Or, yeah, it was two years ago at this point. So, in his third year here. I I think he had his best game against the Raiders. He had 16 points. Um, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be or continue to have the production that people think he will get. It's Just not what Belichick does, um, and as soon as James White does come back, it's just going to be even worse. Uh, so, you know, he could end up in the goal line, but it looks like Cam Newton's going to end up being that that guy, very similar to Josh Allen.
3: Yeah, and I'll throw you one more at the tight end position. Um, I know a lot of people were taking flyers on this guy as you know a late round stab at Irv Smith. Kirk Cousins not interested. Um, so you, you can move on from him. I'd rather have a guy like Jimmy Graham that we talked about earlier over Smith cut bait on that.
2: Yeah. I was one of those guys, Josh, which I'm very, very sad about.
1: Yeah, I, I, wish I was too. I, I him in those best ball drafts later thinking he was going to overtake Rudolph and had this breakout potential and, I mean, guy hadn't done a thing, man. It's been very – I was with you. I, I disgruntledly in a dynasty.
3: I was trying to acquire Brandon Cooks because I have this affinity for Sean Watson and Brandon Cooks. And the guy was kind of on the fence. He was like, all right, let's swap Irv Smith for James Washington. So I had to get rid of Irv Smith for James Washington. And when I traded it, it was wrenching me. Um but I think I'm going to try and get the guy back from the – get Irv Smith back from the current guy who's rostering him in just a little while because I think he's going to continue to underperform this season. But I like
1: his long-term outlook a lot. One last thing. Guys, mention your newsletter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Josh, take it away.
3: I'll plug this quick. So uh, we've got a weekly newsletter that comes out Tuesday mornings. Chris wakes up really early and sends it out at like 8 a.m., maybe 7 a.m., maybe 6 a.m. Eastern time. So it's always there when you wake up in the morning. But – this is a free newsletter. If you go to the commissionbrand.com and you sit there for about five seconds, it's going to pop up in your face and ask you for your email because the quality of the content that's in this playbook is our baby. We love this. We go through streamers of the week. We cover – Uh, Yeah, quarterback streamers and defensive streamers. Any big news that's going around the NFL that we've heard of before Monday Night Football Kicks Off is in there, we'll give you a couple starts of the week, a couple sits of the week. We'll cover it all. We'll provide you with links to our most recent podcasts as well as some articles, and we'll give you some big news too. Like this week, we had some really big news, uh, including the, the welcoming of a couple new guys on board to the commercial crew. So really just if you can sign up for that, you're going to get some really sweet content and it's all for free. So if you go to the commishbrand.com, just sit on that homepage and wait for it to pop up. And then you'll be thankful for, you know, whatever we're pumping into your system when you wake up on Tuesday morning.
1: Yep. F-R-E-E. It's awesome information, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for all. Definitely. Yeah, no,
0: for sure, guys. Well, thank you guys again. We really appreciate it. Be sure to check them out. Once again, the commish fantasy football podcast. You guys are the best. We appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed it. PGF nation, and we will catch you guys next time.
3: Thanks for listening to the pint glass football podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF podcast.